The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. Stock futures are flat this morning, but the major averages are on track to turn in a positive week. A former Boeing pilot reportedly set to prosecution in a 737 MAX probe an FDA panel meeting today to discuss the Pfizer COVID vaccine booster. And Vietnam has become a major player in the global textiles and manufacturing business, but now some companies are rethinking their exposure to Vietnam, we'll explain. Plus, it's the end of an era. Sears is shutting down its last store in its home state. It's Friday, September 17th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Happy Friday and welcome to the show. I am Dominic Chiu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's get right to the markets because we are seeing stock futures indicating, yes, a more stable open. The Dow is implied higher by just about 30 points. The S&P 500 just about one point and the Nasdaq lower by two. So, again, a little bit of a muted move, some stability going out into this week. Treasury yields as well, also in focus for many traders and investors out there. The benchmark Treasury note yield for the 10-year side of things is ticking slightly higher now, just below 1.34%. The two-year note yield, just about 22 basis points or 0.22% on that trade there. But you can see the entire curve higher in terms of interest rates, bond prices falling. In energy prices as well, we're watching, of course, what's happening with crude oil. Gasoline futures have been showing some signs of life over the last couple of weeks here. Prices have been ticking higher, although today we are seeing two-thirds of 1% declines in U.S. benchmark crude, $72.14 for WTI. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark, $75.32. That's about a half a percent of the downside here. And the natural gas side of things cooling off here as well, down about 1%. On the gold trade, we're actually seeing a bit of a buy-the-dip mentality emerge there. You can see prices up by just about a half a percent today, 1766 spot 70 the last trade for gold futures. On a year-to-date basis, though, still down about 7%. You can see some of that near-term downtrend just over the last couple of weeks for gold prices. And then cryptocurrencies as well. We're watching Bitcoin hovering just around, just below 48,000, 47,983, the last trade there, three quarters of 1% of the upside. Ethereum down by a little over 1%, 35,36, the last trade there as well. Now to the overseas markets. Jumana Bersecci is standing by in our London newsroom with the latest there. Jumana, good Friday morning. <laughs> Good morning to you, Dom. Well, we are ending the week in a positive tone. You can see every single European bourse is uh, ending the week in green territory. Uh, this after quite a volatile start uh, at the beginning of the week. But you can see the FTSE 100 in the UK is up about four-tenths of a percentage point. This despite some weaker retail sales data we had earlier on. The fourth month in a row, the retail sales data actually disappoints. 
That being said, a lot of the names are brushing off as some of that information. We've got travel and leisure stocks right at the top on expectation that the UK government is going to water down some of their COVID restrictions on travel today. So all eyes on that in the UK. Cacahont up about nine-tenths of a percentage point in France. Some of the luxury names are outperforming. And then Zetchadax in Germany, half a percentage point higher. Remember, we have the federal elections coming up in just over a week's time. So that's going to be a big determinant of where that index goes. In terms of sectors, this is the breakdown for you. Uh, pretty much every single sector is trading in the green. We've got retail up at the top, as I mentioned, brushing off that weak UK retail sales data. Travel and leisure also mentioned uh, up 1.6 percentage points. Miners' basic resources continue to lag, and they have done over the last couple of days as a response to some of the macro data that's come out of China. But broadly speaking, it is a positive trade uh, session across the board. One stock in particular, though, that we're watching very closely, very interesting story that has popped up overnight. Activist investor Cerberus is weighing up a potential acquisition of the German government's 15% stake in Commerce Bank. That is according to the German business daily Handelsblatt. Now, just worth mentioning that Commerce Bank already have a 5% stake in Commerce Bank. If they buy out the German stake, that would raise it to 20%. So far, no comment from both parties, but you can see a very positive reaction in Commerce Bank today, up 3.4 percentage points, Dom. All right, Jumana Bersetti, live in London. Thank you very much for that. Now to this morning's top headlines. Christina Partinevelis joins us with those. Happy Friday morning, Christina. Yeah, good morning, Dom. Now into serious news. A former Boeing pilot is reportedly expected to face criminal charges for allegedly misleading regulators about safety issues blamed for two fatal 737 MAX crashes. The Wall Street Journal says Mark Forkner is likely to face prosecution in the coming weeks. He was Boeing's 737 MAX chief technical pilot when the plane was being developed. Now to the fight against COVID. A committee of outside advisors to the FDA will meet today to discuss Pfizer's application for a booster dose of its COVID-19 vaccine. A vote is expected late this afternoon. As our Meg Terrell has been reporting, there has been a fierce debate around it, even within the agency, over whether boosters are actually needed at all. In Asia, shares of China's Evergrande group tumbling again with the property giant on the brink of collapse. The company dealing with $300 billion in debt. Evergrande is so big that experts fear it could, its failure could ripple throughout China's economy and possibly markets outside that country. But earlier today, the editor-in-chief of the state-backed newspaper Global Times warned Evergrande shouldn't bet on a government bailout, saying it is not too big to fail. Dom? All right. Big deal in the Chinese real estate markets. Christina, thank you very much. Let's get back to the U.S. markets now. Futures right now indicating a more muted open. The Dow Industrial is implied higher by just about 30 points here. Joining us now is Tiffany McGee, Pivotal Advisor, CEO and Chief Investment Officer as well. Tiffany, I wonder what you think right now about the market overall. Is there a catalyst that you're looking for that could propel the next leg higher in stocks? Or are we due for this longer period of consolidation? Oh, what a good question early in the morning, Don. How are you? Um, so listen, uh, you know, we're in September, which is historically uh, the weakest month of the market, um, kind of coming off uh, summer and really kind of going into fall. Um, and really, again, you know, we really haven't had a correction or anything close to it in, gosh, all year, right? Even actually before, since, since last fall. And so we expected the, the ride to get much more bumpy. And, you know, in terms of where I'm seeing opportunities, 
um, there are kind of these like glimmers of, of, uh, of really, really strong, resilient areas in the market, some that we're really not talking about. So actually, you mentioned earlier luxury retail, right? Uh, your European um, uh, reporter on the European markets mentioned that. So that's an area that I really, really like. It's really one of the most resilient areas, uh, areas of the market right now. A name that I like is Capri Holdings. This is the company that owns Versace and Michael Kors. Um, and they're really experiencing um, some really good numbers right now. So when you look at their, their revenue, they, they reported revenue a little while ago for the second quarter. Year over year, they're up 178%. That's crazy. And we're seeing that across the board with luxury. The second category I really like is these so-called stay-at-home stocks. We've been talking about stay-at-home stocks for, the, for, for over a year, right? And these were the stocks that were supposed to underperform or not do as well. We're supposed to switch to reopen stocks when we were, re, we were in reopen mode. Well, we're in reopen mode. Um, and some of these names, which are kind of uh, adjuncts, I guess, uh, luxury, like an RH, the furniture store, very expensive furniture, very, uh, you know, luxury furniture. This name is doing really, really well. So you look at the revenue compared to last year, right? So up 39% year over year. So, when, so last year, when everyone was staying at home, buying furniture for their house, that was supposed to be its time to shine, but yet we're seeing it outperform. Um, their margins up 49%, just really, really crazy. And they've got lots of runway. Uh, another name that I like, and which I kind of put this in the luxury category, right? This really expensive, um, higher quality product is Lovesack. It's a small cap company. We know small caps are doing really, really well right now. Uh, they sell a $1,500 beanbag chair. A hair is really, really comfortable, but it's still $1,500, right? So I kind of put that in that, in that category. Sales are up 65% year over year. So, right, so, that's, so th- this was people weren't supposed to be buying beanbags. Right I mean, now. I mean it's, so Tiffany, I, I wonder you've reeled off a lot of these consumer names, but but one of the big parts of the consumer narrative has been stimulus checks and government stimulus and all of this help that's been going on out there for the past year driving consumer spending. Is there a worry that that consumer spending starts to tail off a little bit as that pandemic aid starts to end? Just look at yesterday's retail sales data. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it shows a moderation in happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think that we're talking about two different kinds of consumers. So in the pandemic, there were a lot of people that, that were out of work. There were a lot of people that were, that were really struggling, but there were a lot of people that weren't. There were people that were able to work from home, still getting the same paycheck. And we've had a lot of you know, people change jobs, start new businesses. So everyone is not in that category. And certain brands of retail were still doing very, very well. So your brands that had pricing power right? Your, um, your really high quality uh, traditional brands that people have come to love. I'll even put Estee Lauder in that category too. It's a hundred percent prestige or luxury beauty. So they are still buying those. And so we've seen this flight to quality uh, in terms of products for the consumer. And again, I'll throw, I'll throw another one out there. Here's a, here's a really good example. We don't talk about it in, in terms of luxury, but Lululemon, right? So Lululemon is not technically a luxury company, but it is a higher end, more expensive product. They sell leggings for 100 to $120. And we're seeing those, their numbers killed it. Um, so so I, I don't see that. I, I think that we're talking about two different types of the market. So, so okay. So the luxury side of things is one side on, on the one hand. But, but then that, that, yeah. that approach that you're taking implies that the kind of middle to lower end side of things is then going to underperform, right? We're talking about the family dollars, the Dollar Trees, the Walmarts, perhaps some of the consumer staples type names that are, that are kind of 
that have been a beneficiary during the pandemic. Is that the case then? Do we just focus from an investment standpoint on luxury and kind of leave everything else retail wise by the wayside? I think that there are a few things working in retail, and I, I don't think you can paint everything with a broad brush. Luxury is working. I do think consumer staples, for the most part, are working too. When you put like you know Target or Walmart, um, but when you, you also mentioned um, the uh, the discount uh, places, so what we're seeing is is certain uh, discount shops, right? So you've like Dollar General, uh, Dollar Tree. There, there are a couple of names in there. Um, it's really hard sometimes to do to, to do really well right now if you don't have an online presence. So with with some of those stores that are that are located in certain areas where you know there are um, possibly like like food deserts or or not a lot of other competitors, they're doing well. Um, but for for others that don't have an online presence. Um, that are in areas with competitors, they're not doing as well. So in that kind of discount area, you really kind of have to cherry pick and see and see what's working. Um, consumer staples I do like, uh, but some of them, you know, like for instance, you know, Clorox, you could kind of consider consumer staple, <laughs> um, but that's not, you know, we, we all kind of see how, how, how Clorox is doing right now. So you can't, you have to look at all of these things individually, but I, I would say broadly, um, you know, the, the luxury names, um, with, with pricing power are doing well. All right. The consumer staples trade certainly a focus for a lot of investors. Tiffany, thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show this morning's big money movers, including reports of a big deal in the asset management business. Plus, we'll talk about China. All We talk about China all the time, but Vietnam has also become a very key manufacturing hub for many U.S. companies. Only there are a few problems brewing across the Pacific, we'll explain. Stay tuned. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. Invesco is reportedly in talks to merge with State Street's asset management business. The Wall Street Journal says a deal is not imminent, but such a tie-up would be one of the industry's biggest in recent memory. State Street's asset management unit manages around $4 trillion in assets. Invesco has a very big ETF business and oversees roughly $1.5 trillion in assets as well. Shares of Diamondback Energy rising this morning. The company's board announcing a $2 billion stock buyback program. The oil and gas company also says it will accelerate its plan to return 50% of free cash flow to shareholders in the fourth quarter of this year. And finally, Coupon. An SEC filing shows SoftBank's Vision Group has sold 57 million shares in the South Korean e-tailer for about $1.7 billion dollars. 
SoftBank still has a very major stake in Coupon with those shares. You can see there, at least the U.S. listed ones are unchanged right now in the pre-market. Now to a global story with very big implications to many parts of the economy. We all know China has become a very big manufacturer around the world, but Vietnam is also a dominant player in the textiles and garments business. The country is now slowly emerging from a near two-month COVID-related lockdown. Companies like Nike and Adidas have warned Wall Street on the impact this has had on their inventories. Apple, Google, and Amazon have announced they are delaying their production shift from China to Vietnam. The reopening will not be quick, and the challenges to the current delivery of apparel and footwear here in the U.S. are also mounting as well. CNBC's own Lorianne LaRocco is here now with more on the tale of that trade with Vietnam. Lorianne, I mean, it wasn't so long ago we were looking to Vietnam as the savior for U.S. manufacturing abroad because China's supply chain issues and its government were perhaps maybe not as reliable. That's correct, Dom. And now it's actually it's a it's a nightmare for supply chains for around the world. Uh, Vietnam is the world's third largest uh, producer of textiles and garments in, in, in the world. And the Vietnam Textile Apparel Association has estimated 35 percent of the country's textile and garment manufacturers have been shuttered during this lockdown. Now, remember, trade is a forward looking indicator of a country's health as well as a company's supply chain. Remember, trade takes people. Using Nike's bills of lading and customs data tracked by Import Genius, you can clearly see the impact of the lockdown, which began on May 31st. The imports you see coming in were actually made before the lockdown. And as the lockdown has progressed, import volumes will drop and have dropped. Now, even if Ho Chi Minh's lockdown, which expires at the end of this month, manufacturing manpower will still be an issue. And here's why. During the lockdown, at least 20,000 workers have left the city to go back to their hometowns. And export officials are saying that tens and thousands of workers are currently stranded in these neighboring provinces and cannot return to work. Now, this is where the investment comes in. Investors of these companies, they need to expect low manufacturing output, which means less future product arriving on the shelves for the holidays. And we are seeing that now, with a drop in volume of Vietnamese imports arriving into the United States in the next seven days. But unfortunately, the bad news does not stop here. The congestion at the ports is going to further delay product arrival. To understand this delay, check out the shipping vessel, the Edison. She left Vietnam on August 9th at the port, uh, she, out of Vietnam on August 9th for the port of LA, carrying 497 Nike containers. It arrived at the port on August 27th, and she was anchored there for 12 whole days. The Edison then started the unloading process back on September 8th, which took another eight days. And get this, she left finally last night. There are now currently 63 ships anchored off the port of Los Angeles as we speak. So what does all this congestion mean? Money. Vessels sitting at dock or or anchored uh, offshore do not make money. You want these vessels in and out of ports in a, in a day or two so they can be filled with trade as well as those coveted empty containers 
to fill the trade. So in the end, Dom, this congestion has just entirely thrown off the entire global supply chain. Back to you. Uh, so, so Lorian, I mean, how long do we anticipate the manufacturing will take to get back underway? Well, I've been speaking with a lot of my contacts over in Vietnam, and Seiko Logistics is telling me they are expecting at least two months for the folks to come back to fill the warehouses to start making everything. And it takes about a month in general for warehouses to come up. Now, remember, you've got that delay. They're opening up these uh, warehouses. They're getting the dust off the shelves, right? They've got spring items on there. They've got to rip that all off, and they've got to start making winter items. So we're going to be looking at product coming in maybe at the very end of December, early January of 2022. All right. Uh, a big deal for sure there on the shipping side of things. Lori and Lorraco, thank you very much for that. Coming up on the show, this morning's top trending stories, including a much-needed solution for that pesky problem of ketchup stuck at the bottom of the bottle. It's trending. Stay tuned. Today's big number, $107.7 billion. That's how much more higher gas prices are costing U.S. households annualized compared to last year, according to research by Morgan Stanley. That represents more than half a percent of annual disposable personal income. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back now to some of today's top trending stories, which include more shuttered stores for Sears, a ketchup contraption, and an Airbnb fit for a silly old bear. Christina Partsinevelis is here with those. I can't wait to hear about these trending stories. Christina. A silly old bear indeed. But let's start with Sears. It is closing its last remaining store in the retailer's home state of Illinois. The department store will shutter for good on November 14th, three years after Sears had filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in October of 2018. The company had about 700 stores at the time of that filing. And if you've ever struggled with those tiny little ketchup packages and your teeth aren't strong enough, Heinz finally has a solution for you. The condiment company is rolling out packet rollers. They're handheld devices that open the ketchup packet and squeeze out the condiment aside. The $5 contraption is even equipped with a key ring for portability. And the 100-acre wood is now taking guests. A Winnie the Pooh-inspired house will be available for rent on Airbnb as part of Disney's 95th anniversary celebrations. The Bear B&B is located in Sussex, England, and is hosted by Winnie the Pooh's illustrator, Kim Raymond. It features wallpaper designed by Raymond, as well as cupboards stocked with honeypots. The Bear B&B, I keep wanting to say beer, but bear, sorry. Bear B&B is only available for two separate stays in September and only for UK. Yes. And back to the markets. A check on the top trending tickers on CNBC.com right now. The 10-year Treasury note, AMC, Tesla, Palantir, and Alibaba, which we can see is trending in a pre-market trading about 1.5% higher at the moment. Tesla and Palantir down. 
Dumb. There's a there's wow. a there's what a, a I, I don't know. There's, where do you so, start with me? So I don't even know where to start. First of all, those tickers, it's interesting because I, I look at them every day and it's always crazy to see just how many people have interest in just a certain number of stocks out there. We know that Apple's always up there. Tesla's always up there. But I'd like to go back, if I can, Christina, to the ketchup packet story. OK, well, I, two things. One, AMC CEO was on Fast Money la- yesterday evening. So for our viewers, check out the website uh, and then continue. Now, pet the ketchup roller. Yeah, so, the, so the ketchup roller. I, I, so this is five dollars. Is there a mar- I mean, this is obviously a marketing ploy, right? Because of is course. there is there a market right now for people who really want to go out there and spend five dollars to get that last ounce I shouldn't even say ounce. There's, it's like a tenth of an ounce of a, you know, in one of those packets, right? But, yeah, small. but that's what you use with your, your mouth, right? You just suck it out, or at least that's what I do. I um, just kind of just roll it up and kind of squeeze out whatever yeah, I well, can. Yeah, well, I guess this is a gimmick, and this is a great gag gift maybe to get for people or a gift in general. Um, I think it's branding, right? Because if you're putting it on your keychain, this is further branding for the company. Are you really going to spend five bucks? Are you going to carry it with you all the time if you don't have it on your keychain? Not sure. Is it just going to fall in the bottom of your purse with all your other... Stuff, maybe. I guess the fact that we're talking about it right now means that it's working. I know. Right? We just gave it airtime. And I, I struggled. <laughs> I, honestly, yesterday I was in the cafeteria and I couldn't open up a mayo packet for my french fries. And I got frustrated. And those mayo packets are much easier to open, by the way. No, they're than not. The, they're than, harder. That, that, Here no, in the cafeteria, they're harder. No, I'm, I'm going to show you. I'm, after the show, I'm going to go get a packet. I'm going to show you how oh. to do it. Wow. <laughs> we're busy this morning, right? Exactly right. <laughs> Christina Partzinevelis, thank you very much for that. Thanks. We'll see you later on. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good Friday morning, Philip. Hey, Dom. Good morning. I was enjoying all that condiment talk. All right. Well, to the news now, Ohio Congressman Anthony Gonzalez, he's one of the 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach former President Trump after the January 6th Capitol riot. He's decided not to run for reelection in 2022. Congressman Gonzalez, who has two young children, said in a statement that family considerations and the, quote, toxic dynamics inside the Republican Party were major factors in his decision. Heavy downpours drenched much of the D.C. area. All that water caused flash flooding during the evening commute. Some roadways, including I-95, were under two feet of water, prompting rescue for people trapped in vehicles. And then there were others, like uh, the guy here at this intersection in Richmond, Virginia, who went for a swim in the street. Floodwaters became so high that in one area, a dam was overrun. Now, finally, victims of Bernie Madoff can expect to receive their next payout. The government is sending $568 million in reimbursement checks to nearly 31,000 investors. It's part of a Madoff victim fund set up in 2013. That fund has over $4 billion in it. Madoff died behind bars five months ago. That's it for your Friday morning headlines, Dom. All right, Philip Mena, thank you very much for those. Have a nice weekend, sir. You too. Coming up on the show, a big FDA meeting today on COVID boosters. We'll talk to a top medical expert about what's at stake and why there is so much debate over whether boosters are actually even needed. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, audio format. We'll be right back. Good morning. Searching for direction. Futures are flat as Wall Street looks to end a quietly positive week for stocks. The FDA in focus. A big meeting today on the topic of COVID vaccine boosters. And we're talking taxes. And the big question on many investors' minds, should you sell your stocks or property before tax rates go up? 
It's Friday, September 17, 2021. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's get right to the markets right now because stock futures are indicating a more muted open, but investors might take that these days. The Dow Jones implied down by just about 21 points. The S&P down by about six and the Nasdaq roughly down 25 points at the opening bell if these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. Also on the Treasury side of things, we're seeing a tick higher across many parts of the yield curve. Bond prices down, interest rates higher. Right now, the 10-year benchmark U.S. Treasury note yield, a hair below 1.34%. And the two-year note yield, just a little above 22 basis points, or 0.22% on that last trade. The 30-year long bond, by the way, 1.88, the last yield there. Also watching what's happening right now with regard to some of the dynamic developing within the market versus small caps versus the transportation stocks. Those two parts of the market are seen as perhaps some of the indicator now of whether or not we are seeing a possible leg higher in the markets. The white line is the S&P 500 on a year-to-day basis. It's outperforming all of them. The Russell 2000 and transports up about 13% each. Now, that's not terrible, but at one point here, the transportation index was handily outperforming other parts of the market. It has since tailed off then, and large caps have reemerged as kind of the, the leadership position here. So whether or not we're seeing this Gap right here get wider is something that some traders are watching. If transportation stocks and small caps cannot play some catch up here, could that mean perhaps tougher times down the line for the overall market? It's a debate that's playing out right now. Now to this morning's top trending stories and headlines. Christina Partsnevelis is back with those. Christina. Dom, let's actually start with Elon Musk. He delivered a video address earlier today at the World New Energy Vehicle Congress in China. Among the headlines, he praised Chinese automakers, saying they have pushed the development of the electric vehicle technology forward. Musk said China has great potential as a market. And keep in mind, Tesla did open a factory in Shanghai about two years ago. Meantime, amid concerns about autonomous vehicles collecting data, Musk promised to work with authorities around the world to secure data. In other corporate news, U.S. Steel is planning to build a new mill in the United States in 2022 as demand and prices remain elevated. The site for the new steel mill has yet to be determined. And General Motors is extending downtime at seven auto plants in the United States, Canada and Mexico. That comes as the global semiconductor shortage continues to impact production. Think about what that means for the already short supply of cars. Dom? All right, Christina Partsinovos, thank you very much for those headlines. An FDA advisory committee is set to meet today to consider approving a third dose of the Pfizer COVID vaccine. The meeting comes just ahead of the Biden administration's September 20th goal to get booster shots to adults who received their second dose eight months ago. At the same time, the World Health Organization arguing earlier in the week that booster shots are unnecessary at this time for countries with high vaccination coverage. Joining us now to discuss all of this is Dr. Carlos Del Rio, Executive Associate Dean at the Emory School of Medicine. Dr. Del Rio, it's always a pleasure to have you here. Can you can you shed some light for us here? Simply put, are our vaccine boosters needed? Good morning, Dom. Well, you know, I think increasingly the evidence suggests that for some populations, booster shots are needed. The data that was published this, this past week on two days ago from Israel suggested that for people who are over the age of 60 who were giving a third shot, the risk of getting infected decreased by 11-fold, the risk of of going into the hospital and getting sick from COVID uh, decreased by about 19-fold. So in people over the age of 60, I think the data is pretty clear. 
And I think that's what the FDA advisory committee is going to see. I am not sure for younger individuals. I'm not sure for somebody in their 30s, 40s who's already been vaccinated if they need a, a booster shot right now. Which should be the, the, the bigger priority for, for, I mean, not just the Biden administration, but, but, but governments around the world? Is, is it more important to get more people vaccinated or more people who are already vaccinated their booster shots, hypothetically? Well, you know, I think you need to do a little bit of both. The most important, the priority, number one, has to be to vaccinate those that are, have not been vaccinated. And I tell you why, because those are the people that are getting sick. Those are the people that are going to the hospital. Those are the people that are dying. When we look at, you know, yesterday, the U.S., almost 2,000 people died of COVID. That's an, simply an unacceptable number. And we, we can do better. And 95 percent of those or more of those that died yesterday from COVID were all unvaccinated. So vaccinated the 80 million unvaccinated in, in our country and vaccinating the rest of the world population, which is uh, many countries have vaccinated less than 4 percent of their population, primarily in Africa, has to be a priority. So there's been a lot of controversy about whether or not vaccines should be mandated, whether or not you can actually force people to get them, the types of, the, the types of steps that companies are taking to, to kind of mandate these vaccines for, for employees coming back to work. One of the big arguments, Dr. Del Rio, has been that this vaccine has been developed in such a short amount of time that we don't know what the long-term side effects are. What's the argument that says that that's not the case? I mean, I heard somebody, a medical professional, tell me, Dom, with advances in technology and computing and supercomputing these days, we can do experiments way faster than we could 20, 30, 40 years ago. Absolutely, Dom. I mean, it's a little bit like saying, you know, Apple is putting out a new iPhone and people saying, well, I'm not going to buy this iPhone because I just don't know how it was developed. It's too soon. And I don't know what the long term benefit of this phone is going to be. I mean, the reality is we take new advances in technology all the time. Technology is actually allowing us to do things that we were not able to do before. As far as long term side effects, vaccines, when they have side effects, tend to occur in the first several weeks, probably at most in the first two months. We have given globally 3.8 billion doses of this vaccine. We've given in our country, you know, close to 400 million doses of vaccine. We have very good data on what the long-term side effects are, what the problems with this vaccine are. And it, I would tell you, this is one of the safest vaccines out there. Why not give it to kids then? Well, because we, we still don't have the data. We haven't determined the dose that kids require. But it's being determined right now. And I suspect that probably by late October, early November, uh, several of the companies are going to present their data to the FDA. I am pretty confident that by December or January at the latest, kids down to six years of, of age will be able to get vaccinated. Is there a point, uh, do you see this, Dr. Del Rio, becoming something like a flu shot that, that, that people have to get every year? I, I mean, this is one of those situations where if you do believe that this is going to be a recurring thing and that, that the flu is kind of like a, a lesser version of COVID, that, that will just get shots all the time. Is that something that we have to, to, to kind of anticipate in the coming years? I don't think so, Don, because I think that the, the flu virus mutates in very different ways than the COVID virus. And I think once you've been immunized, likely you're going to have enough protection that you may not need another shot. Also, newer vaccines are being developed against COVID that have much broader activity against future current and future mutants, variants of the virus. So I don't think an annual shot is going to be needed. All right. Dr. Carlos Del Rio, the associate dean over at the Emory Medical School. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Happy to be with you. Coming up on the show all week, we've been talking about the tax proposals coming out of Washington, D.C. 
The speculation leading investors to ask many questions, including should you sell your stocks and property and real estate, everything else before interest rates and taxes are headed higher? Robert Frank will bring us some of those answers coming up next. But first, as we head to break, check out some of this morning's top S&P 500 movers. Diamondback Energy and Freeport McMoran among those. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome back to the show. From Washington to Wall Street, taxes have been the big talker of the week. Robert Frank joins us now with answers to some big questions from investors. I I mean, Robert, this is huge. If these tax rates are going higher, people have to be wondering whether or not they should sell before these taxes go higher. They are wondering, Dom, and it is the $50 billion question. That's because It is when will a capital gains hike likely take effect? President Biden, the House and members of the Senate have all proposed increasing the capital gains tax on high earners. The president wants a rate of 39.6 percent, the House 25 percent. But a bigger source of disagreement is timing. That has touched off, as you say, mass confusion for tax planning. President Biden announced in April that his capital gains tax would be retroactive. So no matter when it actually became law, It would take effect as of April 2021. So if you sold stock or a business after April under his plan, you would owe the higher capital gains rate. The new House plan that was just announced Monday gives a start date of September 17th, which means that if you sold before Monday under that plan, you get the current rate of 20%. Tax advisors say all these mixed messages have led some clients to bet that there will be an even later start start date and maybe compromise, and they are now racing to sell stock, businesses, and property. Others are looking at all of their capital gains between April and September to figure out what the rates might be. And this is all important for the government because the Tax Foundation estimates that if the rate takes effect next year in 2022, that gives people a chance to avoid it by selling the expected revenue to the government would decline by about $50 billion. So, Dom, as you say, a lot of money at stake for investors, for asset owners, and more importantly, for the government. So, so I mean, I, I've been fascinated only because many of these topics affect so many people out there, many of our viewers and listeners, not just the, 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 you know, what you've been reporting on with regard to the, the backdoor Roth IRAs maybe going away, but for tax rates going higher. How much is this going to play perhaps into this discussion about whether or not the markets could be sustainable if you put taxes at the levels that they're being proposed at? Is there any fear among investors out there, Robert, that we could see this as a headwind for markets in the coming months and years? So I think if you rank these taxes by importance to the market, by far the most important is the corporate tax rate. I mean, even at a 25 percent rate, which is the most hopeful compromise right now, that would bring the earnings outlook for next year down by 5 percent. So that effectively wipes out a lot or if not all of the earnings growth for next year. If it's higher, that's going to be even worse. So that's number one. Number two is the capital gains tax, because that could lead, as we just mentioned, to a lot of selling if it's not a retroactive rate. What's hopeful there is that a very small portion of the market, maybe between 25 and 30 percent, is actually a taxable investor. The rest of the investors in today's stock market are international investors and large institutional pensions and or 
funds that don't pay a capital gains tax. So that's less of a concern. And then further down the, the pike, you'd see, you know, the issues around retirement, issues around higher income taxes. But it's the corporate rate that really affects earnings. And that's that's why the market is laser focused and should be on that. And I don't think it is all baked in right now, simply because no one knows what to bake in. So, so Robert, I mean, have there been times, I mean, you've looked kind of through history, I'm sure. Has there, has there been precedent with regard to these types of tax hikes before? If so, what exactly do you kind of see happening if history somehow doesn't maybe necessarily repeat itself, but, but rhymes, so to speak? Yeah. So a lot of people tell me it can't be legal, they say, for people to have a retroactive tax. In fact, we did have one in 1993 under the Clinton administration. The Republicans challenged it. The the Supreme Court ruled that it is constitutional, provided that taxpayers are given notice. And that's why it's interesting here, as I just reported, that the president, when he announced his plan, said it will be retroactive. So his date was the announcement of his tax plan. That's April. House, the same thing. Their effective date, according to them, is September 13th. So there is precedent. It is legal. Now, the question is, will the moderates go along with a retroactive tax, which some see as punitive? But again, if you don't do it, everyone's going to get out ahead and sell before that rate hike. hike. I mean, it's razor thin margins right now, right? It's it's no votes in, in the Senate. You can't have one swing from the Democrat side of things. And it's only three that, 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 that can be swung there in the House. So, I, I, again, a very interesting yep. story for sure on the tax side of things. Robert Frank, thank you very much. We'll see you later on today. Coming up on the show, don't be lulled to sleep by the quiet market this week. We are bringing you some big investment ideas with the ever, ever, ever popular Carrie Firestone. Many of her stock picks coming up next after the break. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now are pointing to some modest losses at the opening bell. The Dow implied lower by roughly 65 points. The S&P down by about 10 and the Nasdaq lower by about 35. Joining us now is Carrie Firestone, chairman and CEO of Aureus Asset Management, also a CNBC contributor. You can see her on the halftime report. Carrie always brings the fire. Carrie Firestone does. Let's talk about whether or not, Carrie, you feel as though this market still has opportunities and where are you looking for those? Yeah, so hi, Brian, and I apologize for the sound. I think we're having a mic problem. Uh, we think there's still opportunity in the market. You know, think about what happened this week. Uh, we, we've had a clear indication that there's inflation, that there's some slowing. We've had pre-announcements, and taxes are going higher. And the market really has been resilient through this. The market has seen liquidity shrink. It's gone into housing. It's gone into industrial spending. Consumers have spent a lot of money. There's been rolling bear markets. And the market is still going higher overall. Uh, we like to, to say that there are companies out there whose predictability of earnings over the next year or so we feel good about. So, for example, Facebook, Salesforce, names like Waste Connection, S&P Global, Salesforce.com subscription models, ones that have a built-in base of customers and they can raise prices so inflation is not that much of a concern to them. Google as an example in the advertising business. So we like those names and we feel pretty good about the market even though the market is up 20%. We know that the easy thing to do is sell but we're staying with it. Okay, so if you stay with it, there's got to be this notion here that, that the run that we've had without any kind of a pullback whatsoever really, markedly so for the last year, means that there 
could be justification maybe for dry powder on the sidelines. Uh, how exactly then do you kind of asset allocate to this particular market right now? Should you have some kind of dry powder? And if you were looking to get it, where would you raise the money? It's always a good idea to have some dry powder. We have been selling some names through this rally. For example, Blackstone is one of our largest positions. It got so large that we cut it back by a third. We've had names like Metler Toledo. Again, great company, great stock. It was a double, so we sold some. We think that at any time there can be a 5 to 10% correction. That's the nature of markets. It's not a guarantee they're going up always. So you have to have some on the side. And we use that to take an opportunity if stocks drop you know, 10% to 20%. And we've had many of those corrections this year. So always a good idea. So if that's the case, then you're looking at the next few months of the year here. Is there a way that then investors position themselves for, for, for what's ahead in the next few months? What are the biggest things on your radar with regard to what could be that big catalyst higher for markets or, or what could derail the whole thing going into 2022? Yeah, well, I think in terms of inflation, we had better numbers for last month. If we get to another month and the September inflation numbers come down again, that would be excellent news. COVID and the Delta variant are really messing with people's idea of what's going to happen for the, the rest of the year and earnings outlooks. If that moderates and we have more people vaccinated and we start to see those numbers come down on cases and hospitalizations, again, very good for the market. And that could help the, quote, reopening stocks. I mean, they've reopened three, four times already. But it also means that technology stocks can feel better about growth over the next year or two. And you can feel more comfortable buying those again. Interest rates are staying down. They don't seem to be moving higher. The Fed has talked about, talked about, talked about tightening. Doesn't seem to be happening right now. And so we don't think that's going to be an impediment to, to the market going up. Are there, so, are, yeah, I mean, you can look out. Yeah, go on. No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, you mentioned the technology trade vis-a-vis interest rates. We know that the last time interest rates kind of made that market move higher, technology stocks were among the most beaten up during that time. If you look at that tech trade, they've emerged as the real leaders over the last three months. It's been a reversal from that reopening trade. We've just got a few moments left here. What are your favorite tech stocks? I'd say Facebook, Google, Salesforce. Those are a smaller cap Twilio. It's not that small, but we like that. We like that stock a lot. All right. Facebook. Alphabet, Twilio, among those names on Kerry Firestone's shopping list. Salesforce. Thank you very much, and Salesforce. Kerry Firestone at Aureus, thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. You too, Brian. Take care. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. The markets right now are indicating a slightly lower open right now. Dow implied lower by just roughly 60 points. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. Have a nice weekend, everyone. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.